there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies. Welcome to another K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. By the way, K-Cups come in three sizes, single, double, and triple shots, or roughly one minute, five minutes, or 10 minutes in length. So if you don't have time to throw back an entire caffeinated career conversation, these K-Cup mini episodes of T4C can give you a quick caffeinated fix, whether you're on the go or you only have a few minutes to binge. So grab your mug and take a chug, because it's time for a caffeinated career triple shot K-Cup with my guest, Tim Naftali. Well, before working... At the Nixon Library, you spent six years at the University of Virginia. And while you were there, you were the director of Presidential Recordings Program and the Kremlin Decision-Making Project. It's quite a mouthful. Can you just give us some broad brushstrokes about that project, the program, and your role in it and how you got the job? I wrote a book with Alexander Frizenko called One Hell of a Gamble, and we benefited from a remarkable opportunity that occurred because the Crown Books Division of Random House did a deal with the Russian intelligence service to produce a series of books. It was a very peculiar time in the history of Russia. The Soviet Union had disappeared. This was 1992. And I had been studying the history of spies since I was an undergraduate. And I'd gotten to know a bunch of journalists, one of whom was John Costello, a British journalist, who had written a really superb book on Anthony Blunt. And anyway, John didn't know Russian, and I had studied Russian in college. I didn't know it really well, but I was getting better at it. And though my dissertation was not about Russia, it was actually about the origins of US counter-espionage, I kept up my Russian, and he needed help looking at some stuff that the Russians were declassifying. And I got involved in this project as a consultant in the beginning. And then I was asked if I wanted to do one of the books. And it was a book on the Cuban Missile Crisis. And they also gave me a Russian co-author, Alexander Fursenko, an academic. I concluded, based on getting to know him really well, that he was not part of the Russian intelligence service. And because Alexander had the bug He had that great curiosity for knowledge. He was irrepressible. He wanted as much material as he could get. We, as a result of this project, we got access to some Russian intelligence material. And as I can read Russian, so I was reading these materials. But Alexander also had other contacts, which had nothing to do with the intelligence service. And he got access to the presidential archives, the archives of the president of the Russian Federation. So he saw Khrushchev's materials. Anyway, to make a long story short, we write the book. And then there's more material. It turns out that there are these notes of Kremlin meetings that with the help of an American institution, the Russian archive, not the Russian, the archive is part of the government, but it's not the intelligence community. It's the Russian National Archive could proceed with this release. And Alexander was going to be the general editor of the Russian volumes. So I had made this career decision. My first job was a tenure track position at the University of Hawaii. And the people at the University of Hawaii, the history department were really good to me. And I felt it was so far from Russia that it was difficult to do my research. And I was gonna take a chance. 
on a career on the mainland. So I left the University of Hawaii and I became postdoc for a couple of years and I was looking for an academic job and one didn't happen. I had already finished a book, but there was no interest. So my dissertation advisor said, well, Philip Zelico, who was another former student of his, was just named the director of the Miller Center, and he needs young people who are interested in presidential history. And I was looking for a job, and I was looking for an institution that would partner with the Russian archives to produce the declassified Kremlin notes. And so I said, sure. I went to Philip, and I said, I'd love to do this, but I really need, I would want the Miller Center to work on this, let me do this Russian project. And he said, well, I'll make a deal with you. I'll let you do that if you run this tapes project. And I said, well, I, I had used some of the Kennedy tapes for my One Hell of a Gamble book with Alexander. I said, okay. <laughs> I mean, I was interested. Well, this is just one. And so that was the deal. So you made your own job. Oh, I had to. One of the things I discovered when I left the tenure track world was how difficult it is to join it again. That was a job that I put together, taking the principal interest I had, which was in furthering this work on Russia, Soviet Union, and meeting a need that Philip Zelico had for someone who was interested in history and power, and especially foreign policy, to lead this group of scholars my own age. Let me add one more point. The outcome of this was wonderful because I learned so much about policymaking without ever having at that point been in the government. But the tapes are so rich that you get a sense of how presidents manage their time. You get a sense of the simultaneity of issues that it's that no president has the luxury to just focus on one issue. They've got a foreign policy issue and a domestic issue and sometimes two foreign policy issues all landing on their plate at the same time. And they're politicians at the same time. So they're having to think through their priorities simultaneously. And that comes from the tapes. And unless you are an aide to a president, generally I'd say a high level aide, you might never understand this. I learned this because of my role in the in the presidential recordings program. Plus, it opened to me domestic policy, something I had learned generally because one of my fields was American history in grad school, but this gave me hands-on understanding of the sausage making in domestic policy in the United States. So this actually was my training in presidential history. I emerged from that experience. And as I said, it was a result of, of a discussion with Philip Zelikow. I emerged as someone who was somewhat skilled now in presidential history. And that's because I said yes to also running the tapes project in addition to continuing my work on U.S.-Soviet relations. Well. I love that story for so many reasons, not the least of which, as you just said, the tapes part was what you had to do to be able to do the book research that you really wanted to do. And secondly, not only did you then become incredibly insightful about presidential decision making, but it's also informing this book that you're working on right now about JFK. Well, it was that experience that led me to think that there was, we needed, well, we needed more than just my book, but lots of books about Kennedy. But I had other things to do in between. And the Tapes Project also made it possible for me to be director of the Nixon Library, because 
whereas I, I met Alan Weinstein as a result of the project with the Russians. The Nixonians, they learned about me when I was running the Tate's project and I ran the project to make stuff available. It wasn't, we didn't design these volumes in order to have a particular approach. We just laid out the information and provided annotations to make things to contextualize things. We weren't interested in, in using it to attack or defend anybody. What I, Let me just jump in here very quickly because I think this is a super important point, and that is Tim's career path was not planned. <laughs> he did not think, ooh, if I write this book with Alexander, then I'll be able to leverage that and our access to all of these files to get a position at the University of Virginia with the Miller Center. And then that could lead me to team me up to become a director of the Nixon, the federal Nixon library. And then that could. No, 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 no. Each thing happened because he was interested in it. Well, I was lucky and I knew and I knew people and people knew of me and contacted me. I was very lucky, but it's serendipity that plays a huge role in my career. And I couldn't plan on ser- serendipity and, and no one else can. The The thing I did was I just tried my best when I had an opportunity to do my best and uh, to make the most of it. But I could never plan on having opportunities nor count on them. Thanks for tuning in to this K-Cup mini episode of Time for Coffee. If you want to listen to our entire caffeinated career conversation, please check out the show notes for this episode. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.